talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing Our show, we're here now in 2022 We take a look back at formerly Aaron Sorkin's Now a gaggle of bad writers Collective work <laughs> The West Wing, from a leftist socialist modern perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And this episode is entitled A Change is Going to Come, which is, or sorry, A Change is Gonna Come, because it is referencing the James, sorry, the Sam Cooke song that James Taylor plays <laughs> at the end of the episode. <laughs> so actually, sorry, I have to get all my, I have to get all my layers of <laughs> I'm saying, do you want to, you want to like... Hit this like straight out the gate at the very end of the episode. Apropos of literally nothing else in the episode, yeah. James Taylor shows up. It's the most like desperate like a uh, uh, a celebrity clap everybody <laughs> like <laughs> and like and they play him. They're giving a post post posthumous you know post death award to Sam Cooke uh for i don't know being a great artist or whatever yeah in the in the fictional west wing white house and to do so to celebrate it they have actual james taylor come out and play a sam cook song which then uh guides us over our ending montage of the episode yeah and so also actually this is pretty a pretty good way to like go were we going to talk about the ms thing because the end of the episode again yeah. not to fucking spoil anything or jump ahead but like basically the president's at this concert or this this award ceremony with James Taylor for whatever reason, and then it's it's an excuse for him to sit quietly with Abby with his wife. Mm-hmm. and confess to her that he's been having a flare up of MS. Mm-hmm. That it's getting a lot worse, um, and and it actually led to the triggering events of the episode, yes, which perfect. sort of. So this in media res takes us back to the beginning of the episode, where the inciting incident is that. Uh, at a conference or at some sort of like public event, he was working a rope line or something. Uh, someone handed the president a flag of Taiwan, uh, like the Taiwanese independence flag, which is like green and red. And uh, they're about to have the White House is about to have a summit with China. And China takes this as like a huge offense. And basically, there are now diplomatic tensions from this incident. And then, so, as you said, we find out at the end that the reason this all happened was due to his MS flaring up. He literally could not see the flag and just kind of took it because he just takes things when he's working the rope line kind of thing. So, I will give um, minor credit to the writers. Oh, and it'll happen a couple times in this episode, but I'll give minor credit to the writers. They foreshadow this because they have... Everybody's favorite guest star, Philip Baker Hall, being a curmudgeonly senator and being like, like, are you fucking kidding me? Are we not going to, like, back down to China? Like, what the hell is your problem? You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But he also says, in in the context of the flag acceptance the inciting incident here, he says, he says, Josiah Bartlett doesn't make mistakes. Right. So the, there's a, a running subplot of many people assuming he took the flag intentionally to spark some sort of discourse or change in the White House stance on how they view the idea of Taiwanese independence. Uh, but all of these people are wrong, and it was literally just a medical issue, and had he seen the flag correctly, he would not have taken it. 
So it's interesting that many, many people all assume that the man is literally infallible and then just make, like, giant logical leaps based off that that yeah. assumption. Well, and it's an interesting, I guess it's an interesting dynamic, if it's intentional, which I assure you it's not, to be like, well, yeah, you all of this is spooling out from a presumption of infallibility on the part of the president and the fact that every action he takes, like, the administration is then desperate to draw to redraw the lines that he is nominally mm-hmm. towing on whatever mm-hmm. issue which yeah, is an interesting it. theory of government for sure yeah just a constant constant state of reaction basically to to the president's actions uh who we assume like the pope is is totally infallible well and it's it's also an interesting meta because the show spends so much time developing this storyline as like the presumption is that he's not infallible the problem with ms is that it affects executive function and we've been told this over and over again and not only that but just more often than not the drama of the show weighs heavily on the president making mistakes you know big with the idea that when big men make mistakes they're they're big mistakes and like that's kind of like the whole premise of the show is like seeing the great man make the great decisions and sometimes oh they don't always work out right you know he's literally not been infallible in the context <laughs> yeah. of the show we've seen him so it's weird to start treating him that way now yeah and, and then like and multiple people actions. do it the, yeah that senator does it cj does it and leo they all assume and these are people who know the president best and they all assume that, like, oh, oh, oh sneaky Bartlett, you're just trying to <laughs> ring up some old Taiwanese independence discourse in the in the fucking debate, huh? Huh? You sly dog. And he's he kind of just like winks and shrugs it off. And then, he, you know, then with Abby later, he's like, no, actually, I'm just blind now. It sucks. Yeah. Whoops. Like, I can't see out of my right eye anymore. Oopsie. Wh- whoopsie doodle. <laughs> yeah. So, and this. Basically, like the um, they are the reason that this becomes a big idea is because they are actually currently like working out a just a diplomatic summit with the PRC. Yeah, yeah like a big conference with them uh, and something like that. And so this creates a bunch of tension. And the mechanics of this mostly just kind of work out, and ultimately diplomacy prevails. But really, what I wanted to discuss in this bit because I'm not going to get into the depths of. China and Taiwan's history. You can read up about that. Neither yeah, of us not, are exper- I don't I don't know Neither about of us it. are even close to experts on that topic. But that's kind of neither here nor there as the question of that really isn't the question the show tackles. It's the real question is how bad can we make China seem? Uh, cuz this <laughs> subplot is just dripping with China hate. <laughs> oh, I mean it's it's outright just casual racism here like yeah. you you get it's just a like a laundry list of check like of check boxes of just what we were talking about before the show is that there's a constant undercurrent in american popular culture and media of you know sort of depending on the show or the the i guess the theater that it's in like it runs the gamut between like accidental sort of stereotyping to outright like me put pee in your coke level yeah. joke making yeah like we have actual lines here. I want. I would love for you to get the clip of the nine meat soup, and yes. the uh, uh, we should all tattoo one China on our forehead. <laughs> Chokes. The nine meat soup one in particular is just like a real, like oh wow, foreigner eat weird food <laughs> equal bad. Like it's just like. 
I was, in and out. Couldn't stomach any more haggling over the nine meat soup. Nine meat soup? It was on the menu for the dinner in Shanghai. Beef, chicken, pork. You don't want to go there. Ah, uh, there's a well, nuanced way to, to talk about cultural differences, and then there's racism, and what West Wing is doing is racism. Su- surprise. Um, like, they call them panda huggers. Um, mm-hmm. They make a reference to serving, but, by the um, way, selecting... Who wouldn't want to... Who would not want to hug a panda? Oh, fucking pandas. I would love to hug. You see all that video of the the guys like in all their PPE, like within the panda center, just like Ch- rocking chillin'? pandas to sleep. Just chilling with pandas. <laughs> yeah. Seems like a blast. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. So they talk about they're selecting um, courses for the like the diplomatic gala or whatever. And they say um, that they're going to put fortune cookies on the menu. And to her credit, CJ says to Toby like, Fortune cookies are actually like a horrible like American invention. Yeah. What the fuck is your problem? <laughs> but yeah. you know that's that's neither the, here nor there. And then they talk about the touring the the historical sites of the region. And he's like, yeah, the Terracotta Warriors. It's this very you know famous ancient uh, landmark. And Toby's just like pottery. Like no, Toby. The point isn't no, that it's fucking made of pottery. You dumb shit. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's crazy because, like, Asian racism in pop culture, to me, it's so blatant in some of these ways where, like, if this, if you saw this sort of, like, anti-black or anti-Hispanic racism on this level in pop culture, it would, it would shock and offend and, like, and people would sit up and take notice, but because it's done towards Asian culture, it flies, I guess. It's they're like it's like the last acceptable frontier, apparently. Yes. And actually like I think that is that is a both a reaction to and a continuation of the model minority problem mm. where for a long time because and holy shit, like we're going down the rabbit hole slightly here, but like because education has so long been like the neoliberal standby of, oh, you Mm -hmm. just have to get educated and lift yourself Mm -hmm. up, you know, via education. That worked out such that throughout all the propaganda of the 90s where Japan and China were kicking our test scores ass, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it just sort of becomes, oh, well, we can't really portray these people as simple or backwards or whatever the stereotype of the day is because we also have to maintain this neoliberal order of well that ed- education's the key they're good at education and, and that's they're doing they're good, good at. at it yes right so therefore we just have to make fun of them for being weird and different which is yeah. you know still racism but a, a different <laughs> yes. flavor and and one that apparently is cool on like so many forms of our pop culture even ones like targeted at children like you see a crazy amount of it it's crazy well you should I'm, I'm you should relay the story about the guy you were talking about before yeah. we started yeah like I have a fondness for crazy long YouTube videos, which, um, and there's this Quentin reviews one about I, the iCarly show, which I never watched never way, seen before, it. way after my time, but he, this guy was of a generation where he grew up with it. And at one point in the video, he just goes over, like drops, like all these examples of anti-Asian racism, humor, on iCarly, a show targeted at, like, you know, tweens and, teen, you know, young <laughs> like teens. 12-year-olds. And stuff like that. This is not South Park, you know. This is, this is like, Disney Channel iCarly, and it's just full of, like, haha, Asian funny kind of humor. And it's just like, damn. Like, it's, it's so, it feels so blatant 
when it's that level. But like, like I said, they're like the last acceptable frontier for some reason. Yeah, it's interesting to be kind of talking about this at a time where this is blatantly being done with the Olympics right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just to kind of to current day some stuff like I was the Olympics were on in the background of the shop the other day while I was at work. And although it's biathlon and biathlon fucking rules, and I love that shit. Yes, um, combined shooting with anything is <laughs> <yeah>. awesome. <laughs> it was um, just there. There are these brief interludes where it was just it was obvious, and especially if you watch the opening ceremony, which I did not. I'm hearing secondhand about that shit, where it's just like any American media coverage of it, especially in the context of COVID mm-hmm. and China. It's mm-hmm. like the they wear the agenda on their sleeve they can't help themselves oh yeah it's insane yeah i just saw a screenshot today that was like last time an olympics was held in a genociding country bad thing you know hitler (laughs) same thing no china (laughs) (laughs) like like you do the math viewer (laughs) you know we're just gonna put the implication out there but yeah um it ends up getting, I guess, resolved by the fact that, like, you know, they don't get into a hot war with China, and ultimately their their diplomatic summit goes off fine, and they all agree to everything, and tensions basically just evaporate. And then, like we said, Bartlett just admits it was an MS issue, and so that's the note we literally end the episode on, and it's more of concern for Bartlett, and the China stuff just kind of flies out the window at that point. Yeah, it's, there is, I mean, while we're talking about it, we can take brief digressions to talk about Leo comes back into the West Wing, you know, to mm-hmm. visit or whatever, and he goes oh, and sits right. down with CJ for a little bit. They does, have a meal with yeah, a candle they, and everything. Yes, for for no other reason, because it's lunch, <laughs> for, no exactly. other reason than to have him do the weird Bernie yeah. matchstick flag yeah, fork like, thing. Yeah, like, why are you having a candlelit lunch with, like, CJ? Are you courting her, Leo? Like, what is this? Yeah, and literally it's just there so that he could do this dumb little gimmick where he puts a fucking... They have the little flags because she was getting a lesson from Kate Harper about all the various flags, uh, which has a good line where she's like, what are these, from your G.I. Joe set? And Kate's like, no, I play a lot of Risk. And, like, both, both good lines. Uh, but yeah, so Leo takes the little green Taiwan, uh, stick flag and like does this thing with two forks in his wine glass where he balances it in such a way that when he lights fire to the base of it, it stops right where the wine glass is touching it. And he go and he points at that and he goes, that's you, CJ. You're there to like stop the flame from <laughs> engulfing the world or, or whatever. F- fucking what? Like I am, I am the person that stops the Taiwan flag from becoming on fire that then makes these forks fall over. What are you on about here, buddy? (laughs) To be fair, she follows it immediately up with like, Leo, you have way too much time on (laughs) your hands now. And he's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Leo's like, yeah, isn't it great? I can come up with wacky shit like this now. (laughs) He spent like half a day thinking up how to do the the fork flag maneuver. (laughs) Uh, a productive Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> the fork flag maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that mostly wraps up the China subplot. Um, any final thoughts or we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and discuss the, the Hoynes subplot. Uh, the, and the only thing I'd say is that there's a line that says like, I'm not, Bartlett literally says, I'm not going to fucking war over a flag. I'm like, dude, think about the stupid things that wars have been declared over. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, good stuff. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. There's a there's a good comedy subbeat in this episode with the actual acquisition of the flag itself. So given that the president took it from, you know, a citizen, it gets logged by like the, the White House's official gift logging division, which, you know, there's a whole fucking office for and everything. And so CJ's like, okay, well, Charlie, go get the flag so that we can at least not not have the flag anymore. Uh, which will help patch things up with the Chinese folks. And so Charlie's like, okay, easy peasy. I know where the gift people are. And he goes there and he's like, okay, now normally I know like it's the nice lady who I deal with at the gift thing and she likes me. And then he strolls up and lo and behold, who is it but good old Bernard? (laughs) Bernard. Bernard, the the same hoity-toity White House aide uh, who has a million great zingers uh, ready in his brain. We saw him last last season, I guess. Uh, I can't remember, oh, fuck, but I he can't was remember. working. He was working a slightly different role within the White House, and now he has been moved to uh, the gift the gift keeping office role. Bernard, yes, welcome to my festoonery. Where's Rose? Rose, in what I assume is a clerical error of some kind, was promoted. And they transferred you to the gift unit? Apparently, I am the new Rose. And so... He calls his festoonery, which is an amazing word. (laughs) (laughs) He's just got incredible lines here. There's this great exchange when Charlie first shows up about Charlie's tie. Charles, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to see you again. Yeah. So it says here... Did you pick out that tie, or is it government issue? My sister bought me this tie. The things we put up with for family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I love, like, I just love every line he has. The show hasn't been this fun in a while. And so they kind of have a back and forth where Charlie's like, I need the flag back. And he's like, no, no, the flag is being over, like, the $25 gift limit uh, has to be accepted on behalf of the country. And therefore, you know, The president blah, 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 can't simply give it back. Right, it, like bureaucratic rules, the president can't have his own property given back to him. Uh, and so they go through a few rounds of this with Charlie trying to like rules lawyer his way through the proceedings <laughs> yeah. because that's the liberals' ultimate weapon is finding a, finding a loophole in the rules that lets you get what you want done. Uh, but then Bernard is like prepared and like <laughs> rules lawyers right fucking back at him. Yeah, he brings he brings his own rules lawyer to a rules lawyer fight, and it's good. They just have have a standoff over obscure politic like policy details. They're citing U.S. code at each other. Right, with the implication that Charlie probably got his guy to lie and make up a section of code. I feel like that's definitely the implication. Um, oh yeah yeah so Char- charlie he's... brings in uh, michael kostroff another great guest star here mm-hmm. you know him from um the yes. wire 
um, where he played one he's of the... He's one of those guys who shows up in everything. Yeah, and he's in also. everything. Great character actor. Um, but yeah, so he brings him along. He basically just implies that he will have the upper hand, and then Bernard is just like, well, why didn't you just tell me to give the flag back? According to Mr. Squire here, the president cannot accept a gift from a foreign government if doing so would violate U.S. law, establish a quid pro quo, or adversely affect the foreign relations of the United States. State Department Protocol Regulation 478.7355, Section B, as in Bunyan. I wasn't aware of a Section B. Oh, yes. That's a very useful little provision. Indeed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's just like, uh, it, it's a fine comedy subplot. Like, don't think about it too much. And I, I love anything that injects a little bit of actual humor into the show, so I'm not going to complain. And, I mean, ultimately, it defangs. It, it's a nice, um, because you do get the president saying, I'm not going to war over a flag. Like, give me a goddamn break. So there's your serious take on it. And then you have this in the background just being like, aren't these people ridiculous Look at how, like, let, we can completely make light of this without, and frankly, I think this is part of what helps the show in this regard, without, frankly, resorting to stereotyping and yes. minimizing <laughs> Chinese cultural yes. things. Like, <laughs> In fact, we actually get a little bit of lesson of the worth of the flag from Bernard, mm -hmm. yeah. where, you know, where he's like, actually, given the historical significance of what's going on right now, and given that the president accepted this, this thing's easily worth like twenty to $30,000. Yeah, so if the president's got a check for me, I'd be happy to accept right. it. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, he can buy it back. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. it's nice because, and I think it just from my own perspective here, it's just like, it's, I am fine with leaning on English stereotypes i am fine with yes. with making fun of yeah. the english we can yeah. fucking yeah <laughs> like exactly. it's fine i would argue as america we're honor bound to make fun <laughs> of the english yeah. so you know it's fine to lean on bernard much in the way that a lot of times back in season two we leaned on lord john marbury which mm -hmm. i was the yeah. immediate it's, like parallel that i drew here it's basically the same thing except john marbury is like more drunk and incompetent whereas bernard is sort of a consummate professional but aside from that it's the same like upper class twit kind of vibe yes. yeah which is again on. fine we're punching up in this scenario yes yes yeah he's a snob and and it's fun to make fun of snobs yeah so good good stuff all around but that's mostly like the c plot the b plot of the episode mostly deals with josh and former vice president hoynes who is back uh and is doing a media book tour for his basically apology book um of like my discretion or, or something like that where he basically just says like okay yeah so i had an affair and i ruined my life and whatever but I'm a good man, I'm a changed man, and this is basically my, like, pre-running for president media tour, essentially. So, in case nobody remembers this, which I didn't because it's taken us so goddamn long to get here, like, this was, yeah. this was completely fabricated at the end of season four, and as Emma reminded me, she said that the Hoynes affair thing was one of Sorkin's last storylines because they had to gin up something to get the vice president out of the office such that they could have John Goodman come in and have a constitutional crisis right. with him. So Right, and have a Republican yes. take president. So they exactly. had to make up something that Hoynes did and, you know, threw in a completely out-of-character CJ indiscretion with Hoynes 
thingy. Oh yeah. Which which oh yeah that which makes thing. her kind of implicit or complicit with the whole thing. But the problem with the show narratively is that then the drama of the Zoe kidnap, the John Goodman takeover thing, just completely overshadowed any of that boring bullshit that happened totally. before. And I for, I yeah. literally forgot about it. I'm sitting here like so wait Hoynes. So, oh yeah, Hoynes is gone. I just remembered. That's the whole thing where Matthew Perry shows up and on his first day, like, blows that whole scandal yes. wide open yep. because he notices, like, the call log or whatever. So, yeah, like, that whole, that whole drama, which was, like, a big deal that they brought in, like, a big guest star, Matthew Perry, at, like, the height of his friend's, you know, popularity. And, like, you're right, it gets completely blown out of the water because they have the whole Zoe kidnapping, like, 24 action storyline yeah, going on. I mean, as much as it shames me to admit it, it's like, sorry, guys, this is drama television. This is way more interesting <laughs> to me. Mm -hmm. Sorry. like Oh, yeah. 10,000%. So, yeah, you bring up the great point that we've all forgotten about this. So the episode <laughs> has to do a lot of work of, like, reminding us of it. Uh, and the book is, I guess, a great way of doing that because all the characters get concerned about how many times they're like mentioned in the book. And uh, as you as you brought up, Josh looks through the index and sees all the times that he's mentioned, yeah. and you're like, "Hey, it's the early version of Twitter name searching yeah. yourself." <laughs> Josh is very concerned. He's just he's just hammering the 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 pages at the library, being like, "Where yeah. anybody talking See shit more replies. about me?" <laughs> See more replies. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so you get, you get a little bit of just Hoynes and Bob Russell. And so the thing that ultimately comes back to it is, yes, this is setting up the primary to get Matt Santos totally. in conflict with We're these characters. A picture of the field mm -hmm. for yes. our primary, because not, not only are both Hoynes and Russell in this episode, we also get introduced to governor Ed Baker of Pennsylvania, uh, played by, Ed uh, I forget that. Thank you. Ed O'Neill, a.k.a. Al Bundy. Um, and he shows up to uh, do like a handshake with the president over some sort of political initiative about something he passed in Pennsylvania. And then Russell tries to sneak in on the photo op to like get cred for it, basically, uh, on, on behest, like Will gave him the advice to do that. And then so he goes in there and he basically like steals the credit by photobombing it. And then Bartlett immediately afterwards calls him out. He's like, I am not picking sides. Don't you fucking do this shit anymore. Don't ever try to like, like I'm not endorsing you. Like, you know, yeah, on this I'm, guy's I'm not endorsing you. Yeah. Cause like beforehand him and Baker, Bartlett and Baker have a little back and forth about like, Oh, so how are your numbers looking in Ohio and stuff? And, and like, they talk a little shop about that. So he's clearly aware that Baker's running. Uh, so Bartlett is trying his best to be completely, impartial to this and is not going to have the VP uh, sneaking clout, basically. Yeah, and it's, I mean, frankly, this is exactly how I would expect these political weirdos to act in this situation. So, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, we when we were talking about this before we recorded, I think where this, this falls flat again is just that Hoynes, Bob Russell, they're, they're interchangeable. Either one could be yeah. the other. There is nothing interesting about either character, really. Yeah, it's Joe Jackson and Jack Joseph yeah. from, like, Futurama, the two clones. Yeah, like. and, I mean, okay, sure, we put some work into being like, yeah, you know, Hoynes, he's that sleaze bag, and Bob Russell is the big money guy, but it's just, ultimately it, it just doesn't 
matter because who cares they don't have like a signature legislation thing they don't have like a policy that they're both like big about or whatever like yeah they don't they have no distinguishingness between them and they both used to be more dynamic characters and at this point they're just written simply as villains in the primary for who we don't we don't know yet technically but our protagonist jimmy smith's who, who is about to be our new, you know, protagonist, the new up-and-comer, the, the potential Bartlett replacement. So, to, to give them, again, a slight bit of credit, we are looking at this backwards, having witnessed the whole narrative arc. So we actually think, exactly. for all we know, now, if you have... It is going to be Holmes exactly. or Russell and or Baker. If, if you have yeah. two brain cells to rub together, you saw Matt Santos last episode, and we're like... Oh, yeah, he's like a a guy like Jimmy Smits, again, coming out of NYPD Blue, like peak of his literal power joining the show. It's like, uh, yeah, we're going to see him again for sure. But they haven't explicitly made that clear. You know, we we will see that in several episodes. Correct. Yeah. So like the the show's playing its cards pretty well in this regard in, in trying to make it seem like any of these guys is potentially viable. But you're right in that they do both Hoynes and Russell a disservice by simplifying their characters yes, instead it. of giving them more meat to to chew on and make them more dynamic to if if they're going to be villains at least make them interesting villains but they end up just kind of being like oh x other candidate who is in the way and they don't really have anything defining about them well <laughs> the defining thing about Hoynes in this episode is the weird like literal cruising level of the shady meetup with him and Josh. Yes. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, he's trying to recruit Josh to be his campaign manager because in Hoynes' mind, he he fucked up back when he fired, he let Josh go back when he was running for president against Bartlett back before the show started because um, we get flashbacks to that where, you know, he fired Josh because they had differences or whatever. So at this point, he's like, I've, I've seen my mistake. I've come to the light. Josh, you're the man. I need you to work for me. But rather than like just openly approach yeah. him or like, hey, let's <laughs> let's go grab lunch and I can talk to you about some stuff. He like, like I said, remember the deep throat garage from like a few episodes yes. back, yes. where like where the one woman was dropping off polling results. This is like one level above that, where he's meeting like in a car outside the deep throat garage, and he's like he's he's hunched down. It's, he's got like the windows rolled it's the, up. It's the noir you know? level, like there's a neon sign with a drizzle. Yeah. In the background, yeah, uh, a dame was coming. Yeah, Dames are nothing but trouble. That's right. Yeah, it's it's really fun. It's again, okay, fine. It's playing into the sleazy, like the sleazy I aspect. Guess, I but guess it, it just feels weird for at this level of power to be having this <laughs> yeah, kind of no thing. Shit. When like they should be like you know having night lunch at a very nice restaurant kind of thing. It feels it always feels weird on this show whenever they try to do this. No, because the- it's because it's the West Wing. I will, and again, there is, there are sparks of, throughout this episode, Josh, because, again, we're, we're just going into this sort of blind now. It's like, oh, fucking, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, John Hoynes, I remember that guy. When did we see him mm-hmm. last? Like, literally a year and a half ago or yeah. whatever. But Yes, yeah, literally plucked out of nowhere. So, totally. But we do get signs 
just again, granted that it's coming in a vacuum here, we get signs that Josh is being sidelined by the Bartlett team. Because we have... A little. Well, yeah. we have CJ taking him off the China Project thing. We have him, like, beefing with her over certain things. And then we have, you know, there's some subtle shade thrown by the uh, assistants when they're sitting around. Donna says, I know it's Josh, so there's always a problem with what's happening. Or, like, there's always an issue here. So they do, within the 44 minutes that they've got... Here they mm-hmm. they try to they try, set yeah. him up with a reason to maybe be like, to, oh yeah, John Hoynes. To, to think of jumping shit. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. I get you. Yeah, that's fair. And they do, but you know, ultimately, with the benefit of hindsight, we both know he ends up working for Santos, uh, and they're the new protagonist duo because Josh really is sort of at this point the protagonist heart of the show. We you know we argue with. In season one, it was Sam. You know, the show actually opens with a Sam scene. So he he is the heart of the show, but it's definitely transitioned over to Josh at this point. So when Josh throws in with whatever primary candidate, then that's the show letting you know that that is like the official good primary candidate. Yeah, yeah, because to, they, wouldn't, to watch. they wouldn't use an important character in that in that regard. Right, so it's good to at least get your brain thinking of like, oh, maybe Josh will jump in with Hoynes, and Hoynes definitely seems viable at this point from from a primary perspective. Um, Bingo Bob, ironically, seems like the least viable one yeah. of all of them, even though he has like protagonist Will working for him. Uh, it feels like just sort of a foregone conclusion that that Bob Russell's not going to make and it. And let's be clear, I mean, protagonist Will Bailey here is completely fucking at sea at this point like he's just and yes when when he shows up and when he speaks in this episode it's just like um all right so why are you here yeah he literally is just wandering around at one point and josh is like what are you doing and he's like i'm just wandering the halls hoping to absorb wisdom <laughs> yeah oh and you do mention that he would definitely say if the wisdom would be through uh, diffusion uh, rather than osmosis. Diffusion. Osmosis <laughs> is only referring to water. Diffusion <laughs> is everything else. This bothers me to no end, and it would be the kind of thing that would bother a Will Bailey type too. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> and that's I think that's that's pretty much it. it. I mean, I, I made I made the Philip Baker Hall shout out. He's back, which again, yeah, like we talked we talked about the James Taylor thing that caps off the episode at the beginning already. Great fucking and, guest uh, stars this. This yeah, episode, Ed O'Neill, wild guest stars. Uh, uh, Abby's back. Oh yeah, oh man, uh, looking is, a snack in that gown. Mm-hmm. Looking very good. Uh, she only gets like one line at the end there, just so that Bartlett can launch into his thing about the MS uh, getting fl- flaring up, and then she gets to look appropriately concerned mm-hmm. and whatnot. But they'll have they'll have more to work with on that in future episodes. Uh, I think I assume next episode picks right back up with the MS drama, but I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> it would be very funny if it didn't, considering the president was just like, I haven't been able to yeah. see straight for 36 hours. <laughs> yeah, considering how dramatically and th- that it li- is literally the final moment of this episode, I'd also be quite shocked if we don't at least touch on it next episode. But I've been shocked by this show before, so we will see. There, there, are, there aren't the most talented people at the rudder currently so you know (laughs) yeah the writers are really scrambling and that's why i'm looking forward to the campaign storyline kicking off because at least it gives them a sense of structure to work with of like okay we've got iowa and we've got new hampshire and like they they have their plot beats plotted out for them which gives them a lot more of a 
crutch, basically. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah. But thanks, thanks as always for listening. We appreciate all of your wonderful comments in our threads. Uh, if you found the show a different way, hello, welcome. And you can email the co- the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Which is nice. Which is always nice. So thanks as always for listening. We'll try to be back next week uh, for another episode of The Worst Wing. Bye, everybody. Stay bye safe. Bye-bye, everyone. I'll send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on a lot. So love me, love me, love me, I'm a liberal.